So this is our second message in the series, and we're looking at this extended teaching time, starting in John 14, that Jesus had with his disciples right after the Last Supper, and right before they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus will be arrested and ultimately crucified. And Jesus is using this final chance to speak to his disciples to prepare them to follow him for when he's gone. And so it's very applicable to us because it's how we follow him now as well. And I want to, our passage today gets us into something that is rather contentious, where this idea, when it talks about Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, there's a doctrine that I have said in the past is the most despised doctrine of Christianity. And I'm, I don't know if it is anymore. I think there's other things the world hates about things we teach that may have eclipsed this. But So I'd be interested to hear your opinion. Is this the thing that, that gets people um, angry or, or criticized the most? But it's this doctrine that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, that he's the only means of salvation and the only source of eternal life, and that that is something when, when Christians teach that, I've heard criticized about more than anything else in the past. We want to try to understand that doctrine. Of course, we're going to look at the passage and, and how what it says specifically about that. But we want to try to understand the, the dynamics of it. And then I'm going to end with some misunderstandings about it and go from there. But I want to start with a parable, not a Christian parable. It's an illustration. It actually comes out of Hinduism. But I think it's worth thinking about, and it has to do with an elephant and the four blind men. And the maybe you've heard this before, but there were four blind men who encountered an elephant, and each did their best to describe what the elephant was like. And the first would feel the elephant's leg and say, ah, the elephant is a tree. You know, because all, that's all he felt. The second felt the elephant's uh, nose. Yeah, trunk. Yeah, okay. And says, oh, the elephant is like a snake. Um, the third, you know, had the elephant's side, and that's all he could feel. And he's like, oh, the elephant is a wall. And then the fourth, the tusks, right? Oh, the elephant is like a smooth sword. And so... The parable goes, and you could add his ears were like fans and his tail was like a rope, you know. So as you go through this, go ahead and go to the next slide. Each one of these blind men is in a sense right. You know, they're sharing what they experienced in their trying to describe the, the elephant. And yet, they're also wrong about the elephant. And, and so this is the description from, from, in a sense, a, a point of view of like what religion is like. That religion is men, people, trying to describe God, but people who are very limited in their understanding, and so they can only describe what they've experienced. And so the point of the parable is that mankind is like the blind men trying to describe God, but no, no religion could, could capture what it's really like they can only have a limited slice of truth as each describes some aspect 
Um, and so this, this idea, and this, you could call this relativism, would be that Christians, Buddhists, Jainists, Jews, Muslims, Hindu, modern spiritualists, even agnostics, all have just some slice of truth. And so it is arrogant and wrongheaded to say that you, your beliefs are the ones that are actually true. So that is the point that is often this parable is used to make. Now, I want to respond to this parable. And, and I want to make clear, I, I did this once, and I think I, I didn't explain this very well. People were thinking I was advocating this as the view. No, this is the, uh, this is the critics of our faith, what they will say. I want to respond to them and say why, what it's missing. But even in what it's missing, it has a sliver of truth to it. And what, it, what is the sliver of truth that this view has? Is that God is beyond our ability to fully comprehend. We as limited human beings, you know, could only understand so much about God. We cannot, we're not smart enough to figure out God. And God even says that in his word. You know, my ways are higher than, than your ways. You know, we cannot grasp fully what God is like. That's the truth in the parable. But the parable misses something. What if the elephant can speak? The parable assumes the elephant is silent. But what if the elephant can say, hey, buddy, that's, that's, that's just my tusk. That, you know, I'm not a sword. What if the elephant can somehow communicate to the blind men what he's really like? That it's not reliant purely upon the blind men figuring it out, but the elephant himself could do it. So likewise... We as limited human beings are not smart enough to fully figure out God. But what if God chose to reveal himself? Could not the all-powerful God who created all things, who made life and all its intricacy and everything, could not a God like that somehow figure out some way to, to tell us what he's really like? Are you saying God's not capable of that? So we're coming from the other point of view. And what our passage today is, is saying, if you want to you know, just break it down, Jesus is the way God has chosen to reveal himself to a bunch of blind men who otherwise could not understand him, right? Jesus is God's revelation of himself. And so it starts with Jesus saying, and you know the way to where I'm going. So as I said, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death. He's going to leave them and go back to the Father. And last week we talked about how he would then come and meet us at our death and take us to be with him. And and I talked to Benita this week and she talked about how she and with Phil was listening to that message and thinking about life and, and how Phil would, you know, that Jesus would meet Phil when that time came for him. Um there's, I want to share with you that there's the Heidelberg Catechism. Something I learned when I served at a, a, a German Reformed background church. The Heidelberg Catechism is, you know, the Westminster Catechism is the English Reformed. The, the Heidelberg Catechism is the Reformed out of Germany. And the first question is, I, I caught so much meaning out of this when I was serving at that church. And the question is simply this. What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we belong to him, 
he will not lose what is his. It's all the more reason that we should give our lives to him. So that's, that's kind of last week where we're at. Thomas then says, but, but Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? The disciples are still confused, right? They, they, they haven't quite figured out what God is talking about. Um, until they go through it, until they've seen it all, I think they would later look back on this conversation and understanding would come. But, but before they had seen the death and resurrection, they were just not capable of getting it. They're still confused. And so Peter goes on to say, or Jesus goes on to say, verse 6, this is, I am the way and the truth and the life. In one level, he's saying, Thomas, it hasn't changed, right? The answer that, you know, as to, to which way should we go? The answer is still, follow me. That hasn't changed. What's going to change is how we follow him. Because he won't be with us in person, he'll be with us in the spirit. But the answer is still that I'm still the way to, to know God. I'm still the way that you should follow. So just keep following me. But, but on a deeper level, there's three claims in this, Right? Jesus is the one and only way for three things. One is the way to know and be connected to God our Father. Only through Jesus can we be connected to in a relationship with God our Father. Second is the way to know and see spiritual reality. Jesus is the truth. it's, It's in knowing him that we can understand the things of God that are beyond us. And the third claim is that Jesus is the only way to gain eternal life, to life with God in the eternal age. He came for that purpose, that we might have life with him into eternity. And so there's saying there's three things that Jesus is the way into. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the door, right? You know, God has all these plans for us, but it goes through him. It's It's a pretty big claim. And, and then verse 7 adds to that where it says, um, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus as a human being, Jesus come in the flesh, was able to reveal God's character and heart in a way that could not happen through the prophets, through all the, the, the stories of the Old Testament that we have. That can only reveal aspects of God. Jesus would be the exact imprint of God. He would be God in the flesh so we could see his heart and his character as he responded to people. Um, It says in Hebrews that the son is the exact imprint of the father. Jesus came. He says, if you've seen me, this is how you know what the father is like. Catch what he's saying? He's saying, I am the elephant. You can know the Father by by looking at me, by knowing me. Disciples are still confused, though. They they still don't get it. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that that is enough for us. Jesus, we just want one thing. Just show us the Father. Like, like, that's that's only a small thing, right? You know, that'll be enough. Um, I I think Philip is, is maybe thinking like Moses where Moses had, had said, God, show me your glory in the Old Testament. And, and God says, well, I can't quite do that fully because it would destroy you. 
right? We, we as human beings, if God really showed us his full self without, without any mediation, it would just, you know, be like the end of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. You ever see that scene? I love that scene. Where all the Nazis, you know, see the, the, see the thing and their face melts. Awesome. Um, that's what it would be like to see God if, if we, you know, didn't have some thing. And so God did show himself to Moses, but he put Moses in, inside like a cave in the cleft of a rock and, and kind of even covered him with his hand so that, you know, and even that, so Moses just saw a smidge of God's glory and it says he glowed for days after, you know. So, but Jesus can show us the Father in a completely different way. Anyways, um, so that's what Philip has in mind. Just show us the Father. And, and Jesus' response is, 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 is key. He says, um, okay, yeah, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? How long have you had a chance to observe and watch and see me? You know, how long have not you been looking? And there's, there's three things you should have been able to figure out just by watching me. One is you should have seen my character, the character. You, if you've been able to see the father within me and me in him, his character would have shined out in, in, in that time. The second thing you should know, you should have figured it out by my words, that I have, you should have seen that I have authority from the Father, that my words carry an authority that's not of this world. And the third reason you should be able to see, and, and if anything else, you should have just seen the miracles, the works that I've done, should be a clue that maybe I'm just more than another prophet, maybe just more than another human being. For those three reasons... How could you say, show us the Father? You've seen him because you've seen me. Uh, originally, I was going to go on to the next three verses, 12 to 14. I'll, I'll just say, we'll get to them in the next couple weeks. But Jesus says, and God's not done. I've done these great things in your midst. He's going to do even greater things through you. The project that God is working is not done. Now he's going to start working through you in these awesome ways. Um, but we'll get to that. So for now, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father through me. Jesus, it's saying Jesus is the way God has chosen to reveal himself to people, to our world. And his ultimate desire is that all people would have a chance to respond and receive salvation. Jesus is the elephant. Yes, we are blind men. We're limited in, in our understanding about what to figure out what God is like. But he has chosen to speak. He's been revealing himself. He's revealed himself throughout the salvation history. When you look at the Old Testament, he's been sh revealing himself by showing up in people's lives. And then finally, over the centuries, he, he's revealed himself through his son. Right? It, it's, it's in the, you know, he's did all this thing in the past, but in these last days in Hebrews, it says he's spoken to us by his son, the one from heaven who took on flesh. That was my main point, by the way, if I'm, you know, my main point over my Christmas series, you know, if you go back, all of that was like the incarnation was absolutely necessary for God to reveal himself the way he wanted to. This, this verse sort of captures that. And therefore, we get to this, this controversial idea, salvation is through Christ alone. There are two parts to it. Part one is that 
Um, and it comes from what Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That he is that door that you have to go through to get into that relationship with God. So there's two parts. One part is only Christ could bring salvation. He alone would give his life to remove the guilt of sin and death that's upon us. It's in his giving of his life that he would bring salvation in about four people. Think of it this way. If there were another way, if God could have created multiple ways of salvation, would he have sent his son to the cross to die? If there was any other way, would he have allowed that to happen? This is why we say this is the only way for us to be in the presence of a holy and untainted God and not melt, not be destroyed. We had to be cleansed of our sin and guilt. That's part one. Part two then is only by receiving Christ can we enter into salvation. Salvation itself is being set right with God. And it is through Jesus that God is making himself known. So if we don't want to go through him, there's not another way around. He is what he's, off, what he's offering is himself, and it's himself that leads us into God's presence. So that's what we're talking about when we're saying salvation is through Christ alone. Let me talk about some misunderstandings. Some of it from the side of the world, but some of it also from the side of Christians. So misunderstanding number one, is that salvation is an afterlife reward for a good life. And so when Christians claim, you know, make this claim that only Christians will be saved, in, in the ears of people in the world, they're saying, oh, you're saying you're far better than us? You know, you, you guys are, are uh, better because we're just not good, and no one else is good enough to enter God's, God's thing. So they see heaven in a sense, eternal life as a good place that can go. I, I don't know if anyone saw this, this series. I thought it was very interesting and somewhat good, but it's, it's, it's in a sense what heaven would be like if there was no God. And the good place is the place after death that the characters would go, but there is no God there. Now, God, they mentioned God, but mostly it's being run by these, these sort of angel types. Uh, Michael being one of them is in charge. And you find out that it, it's basically that. It's a reward. If you were good enough on earth, they, they had a point system. If you were good enough on earth, you got to go to the, the good place. And there's everything you would want, everything that would make you happy. And, and that was the idea of it. That's how the world views things. That's not what the Bible teaches about salvation and life after death. First of all, it says we... None of us enter in by our own merit. The only way to enter into eternal life is by his grace. It's not our, our points that matter. It's, it's his grace, his, his gift to us to enter. But more, the essence of what salvation, heaven is, is to be in the presence of God. When you look at the end of the book, you could do this today, you know, later on today. Revelation 21, 22, read it. The essence of it is God is in the midst of his people. It's not some reward separate from God. The reward is we are part of his people that live with him in the eternal age. 
So you can't have heaven without God being there. There's no neutral place that God creates so that we could live apart from him. Either you want God in your life and so to be with him for eternity, or you want your own way. You don't want him. You want to live your own way and you're shut out of what God has to offer. So that's misunderstanding number one. Number two is some would say this doctrine that it is arrogant for Christians to say that Christ is the only way to salvation. In the minds of the secular world, they want to say, well, don't all religions have some truth to them? They want to live in the elephant illustration. Um, in the good place, they, they make an offhand comment about how, um, you know, the one character asked, well, which religion got it right? And he says, oh, all of them only got it about 5% right. That's what the world would say. All religions get about 5% right, but, but it's arrogant for any of them to claim they have it all right. The secular world thinks it's unfair that God should reveal himself to all people equally. But here's the thing. If Christianity is true at all, then the incarnation is a one-time event. To believe that all religions lead to God is actually to deny the truth that, that, that Jesus has come and is God in the flesh. In other words, if we believe what we believe, we have to believe it's the way God created to, 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 to reveal truth. To, to say otherwise is to say the elephant has not spoken. So we're not saying that we are smart enough to figure it all out, unlike those other religions. What we're saying is this, that we know that only God revealing it could get us to the truth. And we believe that God did reveal it through one man, Jesus Christ. That's the essence of what we believe. And so it's not arrogant to believe what we believe. In fact, it's kind of arrogant to say the opposite, is it not? To, to say, well, we know the elephant hasn't spoken, and so all religions are the same. In fact, that's just as arrogant as saying that our religion is right. So that's one misunderstanding. Um, we're saying that God has not kept us in the dark and has revealed himself through Jesus, and that's the only way we know God. Misunderstanding number three. This doctrine means that Christianity as a religion is always right and other religions are always wrong. If you know church history, you know that, that Christianity as a religion has sometimes got things horribly wrong. I have a picture of the Crusades up there, the idea that, that God wants us to go attack a bunch of people because they don't believe. And, well, you know, they, they would go to fight for the faith. And then if they happened to come across a town that was all Jews, they would kill them all too. Like horrible things were done in the name of God at times. Um, we could look at the southern slaveholders who used the Bible to justify um, select verses from the Bible to justify their slaveholding. We could come up with all kinds of times when, when Christianity as a religion got it wrong. We are still fallible human beings, and our practice of the faith has not always been right, but we still believe that Jesus is the one at work in us and, and teaching us. We can still believe he is right and true and the only way of salvation and still understand that at times God's people have misheard and have not, not done what we should have done. 
We can also acknowledge the other side, that, that God, um, that other religions sometimes can have true insights into meaning, purpose, virtue. Um, because God created this world and gave people reason, sometimes other religions have figured out certain truths about God and hold to them. And we can see that there's commonalities. In fact, that's probably a better way to approach other religions is, is what do they say that we agree with? Not that we're saying they're right, but what are, what are the points of agreement? So, so, for example, Judaism, right? We, we share a ton in our faith with, with, with Judaism. We, we, both, we all believe in the first part of the book that, that God did speak through his prophets of old. So we have that in common. Um, when you think about Islam, and I know there's a lot of differences, but we do share one thing with Islam. We share a view of God that, of God that, that is an all-powerful and transcendent God. We believe that in common with, with Islam. I, had a, I have a pastor friend, Dave, Dave Kimberly. He's um, a four seas pastor. He, he had studied Eastern religions. And so I, I wasn't quite sure what would be the parallels with Buddhism and Hinduism, but he, he at one point was a Buddhist. And so I just, I'm just going to quote him, but, but he says there's a parallel with Buddhism and Christianity. He says, Buddhist teaching is much like Ecclesiastes, all is vanity. In Buddhism, all suffering is unfulfilled desire. So the way to eliminate suffering is to eliminate desire. The Christian parallel would be desiring things that perish rather than the eternal. Sort of like Augustine's insight that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. The point being is that in Buddhism, there's certain teachings that resonate the same as, as our faith does. And then he said this for Hinduism. I thought this was interesting. He says... Hinduism teaches that everything we see and think is an illusion, not real, kind of like the matrix. The Christian parallel would be that the form of this earth will pass away and be replaced by the real and the true. So if I lost you on both of those, and that's complicated stuff, don't worry about it. The point I want to make is that when we encounter people and are talking with people who do have other belief systems, including even agnostics, we can look for things that we, we find in common with both of us. And it's probably a better way to have a dialogue than to just say, well, what you believe is false. I don't want anything to do with you. Um, instead, learn about what they have to say and see where they might have true insights as it parallels our faith. So that's misunderstanding three. Misunderstanding four. Salvation is by subscribing to Christianity as a religion, or you could say joining Christianity. That's how you get saved. The Bible makes it clear that salvation does not come by assenting to a set of beliefs or joining a, a, a religion or joining a group of people. Um, it is our heart response to Christianity. Um, it's when we turn away from other things and we turn to put our faith and trust in Jesus alone that we, we have life in him. It's when we say, I belong heart and mind, body and soul to my, my Savior. And we give him our life. No one is saved because your parents were Christians. No one is saved because they grow up in church. No one is saved because they, they put their name on a line that says, I believe all this. Or they officially became a member of a church. That's not the salvation path. The path is Jesus. 
And there are all kinds of warnings in the Bible about people who see themselves as Christians who will nevertheless miss out. And this is the most serious one, I think, is, is Matthew 7. Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name or do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So note how there's some who are doing religious things and see themselves as, as doing them for God, for Jesus, who nevertheless, Jesus will say, I don't know you. What about you? Have you taken that step of giving Jesus your life? Have, have, has Christianity just been a convenient place to gather for you? Or have you ultimately said, yes, I need him in my life? If you've never taken that step of surrendering to Christ, I want to invite you. We, we have people who wait up front after the service will pray with anyone Come pray with them. Come talk to them and just say, I, I want to receive Christ into my life personally. I want to make sure that when I get at the end, he doesn't say to me, I never knew you because I want to make sure I know him. They're, they'd be happy to talk with you further about that and help you take that step of praying to receive Christ into your life. So those are the four um, misunderstandings I think it comes when we talk about Christ as the only way of salvation. I want to end with what I call the inevitable question. I'm curious if Nick will agree with this because it happened especially in youth ministry days. But the question I would always get asked at some point, what about those who never had a chance to hear? And oftentimes they were thinking about people in the jungle. This is a picture of um, a missionary out in the jungle um, of South America. You know, what, what, what about, you know, what about those? How, it doesn't seem like they have an opportunity to respond. And so I want to think about that as we close. First of all, in the word, we are giving a, given a way to share the faith so that people can be included. Romans 10, 9 and 10 is probably the, the best description of, of how we can enter in. And it talks about this. It says, if we confess with our mouths and and that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart we believe and are justified, and with the mouth we confess and are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we who have received the message are called to bear that message out in the world so that, that others can hear it and believe and respond. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring this good news into people's lives. So we have this, in a sense, this official way of, of you know, the established, I guess, established way of, of spreading the message, um, of getting people to, to the door that is Jesus Christ. What I, here's the questions I want to ask. Can God work outside of the established channels of Christianity? the official channels of Christianity to bring salvation to a person. In other words, can he get to people directly without us? Um, and the short answer is, of course he can, right? 
He's God. Do you think he's limited in, in being able to talk to someone just because they, they live in a faraway land or live in a jungle? Is there, you know, of course he can, he can, he can work around us if he, if he wants. He can get the word to people. We believe salvation, we're going to close with salvation belongs to our God. It is up to him who is saved, not us. So even as we affirm salvation is through Christ alone, we, we keep this in mind that God, it's not that even for them though, Jesus is still the door. It's still about Jesus, but God can get people to the door in different ways is, is more my point. Okay. And, and so the first question was, can God work outside of these channels and then the second one is, does God give us any sign within his word that, that would, he would include people in his salvation project, people who are outside the, the official, people who, who we would not think would be eligible? Maybe as I explain what I mean, it'll, it'll become clear. How many times in the Bible does God find a way to include someone into his salvation plan who otherwise would have been outside? The clearest one comes to mind is Rahab the prostitute, right? As a member of the city of Jericho, she was, she was going to be killed and, and cast out just like everyone else. Instead, God find a way, found a way to include Rahab in his salvation. And she even becomes a, 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 an ancestor to, to, to Jesus. Um, you have Rahab. You have, you have a whole book dedicated to Ruth, the Moabitess, the woman from Moab who's with Naomi. And, and Ruth ends up being included in God's people. In fact, becomes another ancestor of the Messiah. Um, if you go further back to Abraham, at one point Abraham is, is dealing with a guy named Melchizedek. And we find out, we don't know much about Melchizedek other than he worshiped God. He wasn't part of God's people, but yet he could still worship God. So God has things going on that we don't realize. You could go further. Elijah when he's, he's fleeing the, the king of Israel um, and queen of Israel, he, he ends up bringing salvation to the widow from Zarephath. And, and so she's included in salvation. Um, another guy is an enemy general named Naaman, who, who here's, how he gets in, he, here's how he gets a hold of salvation. He had captured an Israelite sl- you know, slave girl. And, and the, the, she ends up telling him about the power of God. You see, God kept finding ways to including surprising people into his salvation plan. Um, and Jesus in his ministry, he went to those kind of people. He talked about Zacchaeus. You can say, you know, talked about how he, he reached out to prostitutes, to sinners, to tax collectors, to all these others. Is, is that those, those who you'd have thunk were, were you know, the the religious leaders of his time, you know, they would turn away from Jesus. It was the surprise people who entered salvation, the poor, the blind, the lame. My point with this is simply this. It's not in any way to downplay the fact that salvation is through Christ alone. It's that God has more going on than we are given to know. And he, he, he shows a proclivity defining ways of bringing people into his salvation people. And I just think that's awesome. God could bypass us directly if he wants and speaks to someone's heart wherever they're at in the world at any time. And there's, 
there's signs. I don't, I don't know if you pay attention. I, I read what missionaries are saying about what's happening in the Muslim world right now. And it's talking about how, you know, there's obviously a lot of hostility to Christianity in the Muslim world. But, but Jesus is appearing to them in dreams. And they're given signs and miracles. And there's a bit of a, a movement within Muslim peoples to, 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 to put their faith in Jesus. He's able to do that and has done that. And what I think is awesome is there are times when we get to be a part of what God is doing somehow. I, I love the fact he wants us to be a part of sharing Jesus. That, that Romans option of, of bringing the faith in Christ to, to more and more people. And, and so it, it's, salvation is still by Christ alone. And our call is to lift up Jesus, to look for opportunities to connect people to Jesus in our own life, and our own, our own culture that we live in. Um, we have a culture that will, will, of course, downplay our faith, that, that will say, oh, you can find salvation your own way. Um, but we know Jesus is the way. It's, it's part of who we are and, and what we're doing. With the junior high kids today, um, I did their Sunday school class, and we talked about the great banquet and how God wants the banquet to be full and so he sends a servant out to the roads and the highways. Let people know that they can come. Spread the word among the poor, the blind, the lame, the hurting, and bring them in that, that my house will be full. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that, that we have salvation through Jesus. And I thank you that you want your house to be full. And you want to draw people into that salvation who surprise us and we, we would maybe not even think about, but Lord, you're thinking of them. Father, may you use us here at East Glenville in, in the way of, of inviting people in and drawing people to this, this great salvation. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the things that we do in, in our congregation and in all churches is we we remember the salvation we have by practicing together the Lord's Supper. It's something Jesus gave on that night of the Last Supper where he, he had them eat some bread and drink, drink a bit of wine, representing receiving his body and being, being forgiven, forgiveness through his blood. Before we come this morning, I want to give you a chance to think about um, your relationship with Christ to, to talk to God. It's a time of silent confession. It says that before you come, examine yourselves. Don't come lightly. This is serious business to come before God. And his forgiveness and grace is real. And fear not, you know, he will forgive whatever we've done and receive us. But let's, let's lay before him where we need forgiveness, where we need renewal. Let's do this in a time of, of silent prayer.